brief introduction of myself. It's, it's okay for those who already know me. Um, Tim Coleman. I'm pastor of a church actually in Rowley Regis, uh, which is near West Brom and near Dudley, as you'd all understand. Um, <laughs> uh, I was actually born in Sheffield, to be quite honest, and I, my parents moved from there when I was four, so I don't have much at Yorkshire left in me, you know, but anyway. I, um, so I've grown up and spent all of my life in, in the Midlands, and uh, about 22 years ago, we, we started a church very much like this church, and uh, God's been really great. You know, we've, we've been blessed in many ways. Um, but one of the things I've been sharing with, with uh, folks over yesterday and today is, I suppose I could put it down as to the otherness of God. You know, we kind of think of, of God, and we're brought up to think of God as somebody out there, somebody, you know, who maybe cares about us, maybe he's real, maybe he's not real, and, you know, and sometimes he does things like people might get healed or somebody might get blessed, but how real is this? How, how can, we, can we know him? Can we encounter him? Can we sense his presence? Can we walk in his presence? Can we enjoy it? And you read the Bible and everybody did in there, and that's not fair. It's not fair that you read the Bible and Moses is walking along and suddenly a tree starts burning next to him. That's not fair. Why didn't it happen to me? You know, why is Moses so special? And in fact, that's Old Testament. New Testament is Jesus comes, opens the the way for us to know God for ourselves, and we don't get any more burning bushes. And I think that's just not fair. The old people, Old Testament people, saw him, heard him. And I don't think actually... It's, it's meant to be for the Old Testament. I think it's meant to be for us all now. That we can encounter God and see God and know God and find God in so many different ways. And so I, I was asked to do this weekend on worship. And uh, we, did a, we did a Friday night with a, a smaller group, the worship team itself, and some people who <laughs> tagged on. Uh, <laughs> And um, it was good. It was a good night. Uh, we, had, we had a good night. And then yesterday morning we had a, a session, and or a couple of sessions. And I shared some thoughts to do with this. And I, it may get referred to, but uh, um, we'll see. I don't know. Um, the fact that you and I are made up of spirit, soul, and body. You know, that's what the world knows that, but it's it's scriptural too. And the Bible says somewhere in it. Um, that God will pre- preserve a spirit, soul, and body. So all three are significant in- inside you. But most of us, which includes you, by the way, um, we actually grow up really without this. We don't really have that. We-, we live mostly out of the soul and the body. And the soul and the body are almost always influenced by the five senses. So basically we live, what feels right, what doesn't feel right. Is it good? Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Do I want that? Do I like it? And we kind of live by those senses. But God, when he puts within us a spirit, the spirit isn't led by the five senses. It it's lives by relationship with God. And actually what should happen, actually I wasn't going to say this bit, so I'm sorry you're getting a double portion here. What happens is when you become a Christian or you start going to church, God puts a new spirit in you. It's pretty cool, really. He puts one in you that's full. He puts one in you that's happy. And you know when you're miserable? I'm looking around. (laughs) I I know when you're miserable. I can see it, right? God puts happiness inside you. Now, the problem is, if you're naturally miserable or angry or sad, and God puts in you 
a spirit that's happy and joyful and peaceful, your soul remembers being miserable and sad and all that. So you might not be living from the new spirit that is put in you that's, that's victorious. And so you may have become a Christian, start going to church and think nothing's changed. There's nothing wrong with you. That's quite normal. It simply means that you're not yet drawing from your spirit. You're still like the soul and body, living from the five senses. How do I feel? You with me? That's got nothing to do with what I'm preaching on this morning, but it was, <laughs> it was really just to sort of give you a background to what we've done this week. I want to read um, some scripture to you. So uh, if you've got Bibles, great. If not, they're going to appear on the screen as just by, I was going to say magic, but really, should we use that word in church? I don't know whether we really should, should we? Um, Luke chapter 15. And Oh, and by the way, I, I am married to a, a, a beautiful lady called Yvonne. I have three daughters, Hannah, Elizabeth, and Catherine. And the, Catherine is 25. And I also now have a granddaughter called Elsie, who's 16 months. And I had a video of her sent, a picture of a, a video sent last night. So I was in bed for about an hour, just watching it over and over and over and over. It's great. I love this little girl. She's so cute. Um, yeah, so that was just some more background of me. Anyway, while they're finding the scripture, Luke 15. Oh, is it, you need a verse? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's just read a few verses from verse 11. Okay. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. I'm going to read off the screen, so um, if it gets small, I'll turn around. Keep, keep going, verse 12. <laughs> so is that, yeah, I was just saying, that's really clever, that is. Luke 15, <laughs> verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Ah, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically, a, a guy, is, he owns a lot of property, a lot of land, and the, and the younger of the two sons decides, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I'm fed up of being a you know, farmer, wherever it is. I want, give me what's mine now, and I'll just go off and tr- make my own way in life. That's what happens. So the father divides the property between the two of them. Okay, verse 14. Oh, she's quick. <laughs> not, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his feed, field to feed pigs. You know, you're so quick at doing that. My eyes don't catch up with you. He, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with... (laughs) 
I know, I, I know I'm a bit slow, but you know, just give me a chance. His father saw him, was filled with compassion or love for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to, the, to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So that's the a background story that I'm going to share some things from my own journey and life that fit that story. And I think will fit many of you and your stories. There's a psalm, I think it's Psalm 73, written by a man called Asaph. It's not David and Moses who wrote the psalms, a guy called Asaph. He wrote about 12 psalms that I can re- recall. And he was the guy when David came back to, from uh, the Philistines and he collected the ark and they brought it back and they put it in a tent. Uh, Asaph was one of the worshippers who was around the tent for 24 hours you know, that did 24-7 worship. We do, well, we tried 24-1. You know what that is? Worship for 24 hours non-stop, which is great, but your fingers bleed after six. That's hard work, man. But they were 24-7 around this ark, which represented God's presence. The ark of the covenant represents God's presence. So they, 24 hours a day, wanted to be around his presence. That to me is so awesome. Anyway, and I kind of know what that feels like. I know that when when we sort of come in today and uh, we start worshipping and singing, to me we're not in a building here. We're around the ark. We're around his presence. Something's something's stirring when when you do that. But but this psalmist, he'd, he'd, he'd been used to being in that place and yet he writes this psalm like this. He says, why does everybody seem to get away with it? says, the wicked prosper. says, why is it that the bloke down the road never worked a day in his life? Look at him driving around in a jag. What is this? <laughs> he's writing this psalm like this. And he's going, I can't understand why this is happening, why that's happening. And then he says this, this one of these verses comes out. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I understood... What was going on? You see, the sanctuary that he's talking about didn't exist when he spoke about it. The tabernacle or the temple that had been built had been destroyed. There wasn't one. So when he writes about this, he's writing about a time when they stood before the presence. So he's talking about the tabernacle as being, when I went into the presence of God, then I saw things differently. And this has become my experience of life. That God is not just someone out there with grey hair on a big seat, you know, with a stick, waiting to give some kind of judgment. But he's so here and real that if I can encounter him, suddenly my understanding of myself and of things around become clear and become filled with life and purpose and reason. And that's a big, big step as to what, uh, what we're doing. So 
I'm going to make a couple of comments here that I think might make sense to some of you and others of you. Do you know you've got two kinds of people in your church? Well, actually three. But the, the, the third group are people who are, you're very new to it all. So you really don't know. You, you're kind of looking at what everybody else does and you're probably going to try and learn from one of the other two what to do, right? And you've got the people who are over the top. You know them? You come to church and they're the ones on the floor. They're the ones, you know, going, ah, Jesus, I love you. You know, and they think of themselves, and I'm not being sarcastic here, right? Be careful here. Because I'm one of them, you see. Um, so I'm not being, they think of themselves as the ones who are nearest to God. You know, we, we know what he's like. He's great fun. Let's go and play with him, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's the other, the other sort of group of Christians. We're very serious about Jesus. We're very serious about God. We don't have to, you know, behave like that. But, but, but we still know him. We still love him. Um, and that's great. So these new people who come in are going, I don't know whether I'm supposed to be weird or serious, really. I don't know. But if I could cut across all of that and say, actually, none of it matters. The thing that matters is, if his presence is real, how do you get, up, get there? How do you encounter that? If you were to encounter the presence of God, what would happen? Now, this is when I begin to find people have a problem. So I'm going to read some of the things that, that I'd, I'd seen about this. It appears as if we're asking people to give up life. You want to get after God, you've got to give up everything, right? It appears we're asking people to give up life and pleasure and dreams and desires of your own, make a lot of sacrifices, attend all the meetings that we have, even when it's inconvenient, give up your much-needed finances and give them to us, to leave your friends and people behind who might hinder you, you in your journey with Christ. Their new journey is with a very serious God who's never content with us and our weakness because he's always revealing the next area for change. I kind of see this, how people think about God. We're told it's all for our own good. <laughs> he also has a will and a plan for our lives that many of us don't want. And his will is always putting us in an uncomfortable position. Surely that's what the will of God is. Difficult. Such scriptures as deny yourself, sacrifice, die daily, live, leave all and follow me. Send a shiver of impending pain and unease down our already crumbling spine of self that we have. How can I, how can I get people to follow such a life? According to a man called Ian Clayton, you may not have heard of him, and I'm hoping you haven't heard of him. Because if you ever read his stuff, it's very hard to understand. I did this picture yesterday, but I'm going to do it again. So, this is another way of the spirit-soul-body thing, you know. Just another way of drawing it. But I'm going to draw four. So, like, that's the spirit. <laughs> that wasn't a joke, actually. That's the spirit. I didn't mean it quite like that. Um, <laughs> oh, soil. So, oh, soil and body. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it, but at, the, at the, big, the middle of, of this is something 
that we do, we're not born with. When we use this phrase and we say to people, you know, you need to ask Jesus into your life, you need to become a Christian, what, what, is, what is actually going on? What actually goes on? And, and it, this guy called Ian Clayton has, has kind of explained it this way. He says that God puts at the core of you, right at the centre of you, right beyond all your feelings, emotions, your thoughts, your dreams, your passions, your beliefs about yourself, somewhere deep in the core of you, he buries his love. And that love is what gives birth to the Spirit. The Bible says um, we must be born again. Jesus said that we must be born again. That phrase means we need that Spirit to come. Because we've already got the soul. We know how to live by this. But we need this life of his spirit to come. What Ian Clayton says is that what gives that spirit life is it's born from the love of God. Now this is a a, a tricky subject to teach and speak on because people don't like the word love and some people do like the word love. So um, as, as I share this, I've remembered something I'm supposed to have said at the very beginning. So can I do that now? If you've ever been to church before, you, you probably see that there's a pattern in how church goes. Often singing is first and then there's preaching and then you might have something at the end, what they call ministry. Have you ever heard of that phrase? You know? So the preacher finishes and says, okay, if anybody would like to respond or would like God to you know, bless them or you'd like prayer for healing, you know, would you raise your hand and we'll pray for you, right? Now, we're not going to do that today. Because he's already here. And why don't you just let him get you now? Why have you got to wait for some bloke who's wearing a stripy shirt when the God of all creation who wants to come and be at the centre of you and birth in you a spirit so that from your spirit he can begin to breathe life into your soul and into your body? Why do you need me to, to... If he's here, and I know he is, while you're listening, give him access. Say, God, you know my body needs a touch from you. And if it happens, just say, I've just been healed. I don't care. Or don't say, you might be too embarrassed. If there are wounds and hurts inside and you feel God just begins to touch you and bless you, start crying. I ain't going to be offended. People have stood up on chairs in, where I, in my church and shouted out a prayer of repentance while I'm preaching. I don't mind. Because if what God, if God can only say, well, he's, he's in heaven going, I wish he'd hurry up. I want to go and start praying for people and he just won't shut up, will he? He's not like that. He's here now. You need him in your body, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Now, while I'm talking about the love of God, let it go. Let it begin to touch you. Begin to realize he's not waiting for you to do something. He's here to do something. Man, I'm getting excited about this. But anyway, the love of God is what God uses and puts at the center of our heart. I'm going to use a different word than... um, than that, I want to use this word. I want to say that there's like a gate that God puts a gate right at the core of who you are, and He wants to open that gate 
So that the love of God, which we probably don't really know, begins to affect us, begins to move out. And then there's this other word that I use, which for men, this is not such a cool word. Women all go, you know what I mean? It's the word intimacy, you know? God wants intimacy. That's that's why he came at the core of you, because he wants intimacy with you. He, want, he wants you, you know, men, it ain't, it ain't good, is it, men? You know, getting, people getting close. We don't, we don't do that, you know. But that's, I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. At the core of you is where he wants to begin the work. He, he's not necessarily bothered about what you do in church or how well you do it. He's so much more interested in, are you aware of his depth of his love for you? So the very idea of the word intimacy does send shocks through the system. Some people have been so shut down in this area. Now, I'm going to get all counsel on you by that. I mean, I'm a trained counsellor, and I understand the terminologies I'm about to use. <laughs> people. This happens to men and women alike, by the way. If, if we've grown up and experienced a life of rejection and uh, abandonment or... Uh, abuse of any kind this particular gate that's here this gate here with a little handle on it gets shut there are many men and women who have not grown up having that sense of perfect acceptance perfect love perfect appreciation we haven't had it So what happens is, the very place that God wants to come and put his love and open up, it's closed. Even after you're saved, many of you, that door's still closed. So what we do, we get into works. I'll do something then, as a Christian. Actually, what God's really after is your heart. But that's shut. Nobody's getting in there. There was a a guy who came to our church. He doesn't come anymore, but... um, he came to my church, and he was a bouncer at um, uh, uh, one of the, uh, the pubs in a place called Smethwick, which is quite a, a rough area of, uh, of the Midlands. And uh, he carried a knife and a gun, and nobody could get in or out of that place without passing through him. And, he, and he'd beaten a lot of people up. Um, and he came to the church, and he stood outside the church's, uh, the church's door, and he's petrified to come in. This guy who stands outside the toughest, roughest doors in the Midlands can't walk in through the doors of a church. Because something inside every one of us kind of has a closed bit to it. We can't get, can't go there. I can't go there. And he knew coming through that door was going to, it was going to be having to go to an area of his life he was not going to go. I don't do that. I'm hard. And he knew coming into church, he was going to meet something that he couldn't handle. And he did. He came in and he starts crying. And he goes, I don't want to do that. And it happened to him. And, and, got, and, and he, has a, he has a vision while he's there in the room. He has a vision. Because his wife had died four years ago or something. He has a vision of his wife on the other side of this river. While he's in the meeting. He had not been able to grieve for his wife for four years. There in the meeting. He has this vision. He starts grieving over his wife. And he gets healing. 
within 20 minutes. Stood outside the toughest things with knives and guns, but he comes in and that heart, that bit that we're not, we don't go there. God went there because he's interested in this guy. He's interested in him. And he's interested in you. And I don't care if you've been a Christian at 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, not even a Christian. I don't really care. You can have this door shut. But what does it say in Revelation chapter 3? I think it's verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You probably already know this, but it was written to Christians. Huh? We always think that's about, you know, reaching the lost, isn't it? That all the unsaved people in the world who don't receive Christ, he stood on the outside trying to get in. It was written to Christians. Because Christians accept God, accept Christ, accept this, this walk, but actually don't open that door, really, at the heart of who we are. We don't really open that. Let him come here. And what does he say? I want to come in. And here's my second thing. I realise people have this problem. They think he's going to come in and give him something to do. Why would I let him in? He's only going to give me something to do. If I let him in, he's going to call me. And I don't want to be called. <laughs> when I was a young lad growing up in church, the one thing I never wanted to do was be a missionary. I said, God, anything, but I'm not going to eat cockroach sandwiches. That was my understanding as a child of what it was like abroad. I have to be honest. I was only a child, probably about five or six or something. No, anything but a bit. And now I go to Kenya a lot, you know. It's like, oh, and I don't eat cockroach sandwiches, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but they do eat fl uh, flies now. What are they? The little, little what? Flying. Yes, flying ants. <sighs> There was a there was a there was a tree trunk. It had been chopped down and there was just this big wide tree trunk and there was all this glittering stuff on it moving around. And they said, Do you want to have something to eat? I said, Yeah, yeah, what is it? And they went over and picked them up and put them in the bed. I I was like, No, thank you. Just have you got any ice cream? <laughs> So, although I'm talking about a subject that's, that's kind of really, um, you know, it's, it doesn't seem cool to guys or whatever, but the love of God is what begins everything, really. If, if, if you're here this morning to find out that, that God heals, God does miracles, He's powerful, He can do all that, well, it, all that, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not dismissing that. All that's absolutely great, but if you don't know He loves you, if you don't get that as the first thing, everything else gets messed up. Now, I'm going to be talking to people who are Christians this morning. You may yet still be waiting for him to come in and do what? Well, if he comes in, he's going to tell him what's wrong with me, isn't he? That's the other thing he does when he comes in. It's true. We think, if he comes in, he's going to point out all my faults. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If I come in, I will come in and I will eat with you. What? You'll do what? I'll eat. But what? I just want to eat with you. What do you do when you eat with people? You have a laugh. You have a natter. You have a curry. You have a naan bread. And you start talking about, did you see the match the other day? And That's what eating with people is. And Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to get to know you. And I want you to get to know me. And actually, you know, the best thing is, I really think you're amazing. What? If the first thing Jesus could say to anybody was, and you could physically hear it, was, you are my son and in you I'm well pleased, you'd be awesomely amazing people. 
Oh, and that's what he said to his own son, Jesus. When he came about the water of baptism, the heavens were opened and a dove came and landed on him and a voice was heard in heaven saying, You are my beloved son, the son who I love, and in you I am so pleased. And Jesus had done no miracles. He'd not cast out any demons. He'd not healed any sick people. He'd not done anything. But the Father was so pleased with him. When you know, when you know, at the core of you, right at the core, never mind all the rubbish that goes on in this area, you know, my sin and my thoughts and my beliefs, I'm rubbish and all of that. At the core of you, you love me. It changes. It changes you. You begin to think differently. But I read that story for the prodigal son for a reason. That's the first thing. I have a title for this sermon. And it's Stay in the Kiss. Now I know that's why I said I, I kind of have delayed using that title because the men are going to go, oh, what's he talking about? I love and now he's on about kissing. For goodness sake. Is it? <laughs> well, I like kissing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes um, but the story of this son I read it to you for a reason because what you have in this image is of a, of a guy who's just gone off and done it all his own way and thinks you know and of course none of you in this church were like that before you knew Christ you know you thought you knew what was right what was best and, and you know things didn't all work out and he decides well I'm going to go back to my father but this is this is the point in the story where something needs to happen. And what needs to happen, we miss. We get the second thing that happens, but we miss the first thing. Okay. So the son com comes to his senses, it says, and he says, I'm going to go home, say to my father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. Well, in other words, you know, I'm really sorry. Uh, but I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. You know, I really can't come in as a son. Let me come in and be a servant. A lot of Christians get saved to serve instead of to be sons. We come back, we come to God, but we feel so bad about what we've done, we truly work, really try hard to pay it back. Actually, that's, that's, that's not what the father does. He doesn't come back and say, okay, after you spent five years in the field, we'll consider your status as a son. He welcomes him straight back there, then. No questions asked. No, no talking about his past, his history. Doesn't say, where have you been, what you've done. Welcomes him straight away. This, my son was dead, but now he's alive. But the point I want to get to is this. In this you've heard this sermon preached probably many times in your lifetime. The prodigal son, it's called. And it says, he comes and the father sees him at a distance, runs to him, falls on his neck and kisses him. And then what's the next thing he does? He puts a robe on his body, a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. We have become so obsessed with that. That God, you know, God just, just clothe me with your goodness. Just clothe me with your righteousness. Just put a robe, put a ring of authority on me. Now we're Christians. You know you've got a new, sandals means you've got a new walk. Now you're a Christian. You know, you, and you've got this ring which says you belong to the family. You, you're now you know, part of the family. And you need to be able to stand up and say, yes, I'm a Christian. And be okay. And go all around the world and find another Christian and say, hello, brother. Because we're family. 
and he gives you this garment because your life stunk before, but now it's fresh and alive and all of that. And we focus so much on what he gives us that we miss the very first thing. He kissed him. The first thing he did was love him. And I don't think we stay long enough in the kiss. That's my sermon. Thank you. God bless you. See you tomorrow. (laughs) I don't think we stay long enough in the kiss. To me, the kiss is when he comes. It says the father sees him. He runs to him, falls on his neck and kisses him. Now, if you understand the language and the, the Greek terminology, it means they fell on the floor. His affection for him was so heavy, so powerful, that as he fell on him, because that's what it says, he kissed him and he took him to the floor. In other words, the expression of affection and love that the father had for this son who stunk of pigs, because he did, was the first thing I want you to know isn't all the stuff that I've got to give you, it's that I love you. If you could only know that kiss of the Father. In the Song of Solomon, there's this phrase where where she says, the woman in the story says, kiss me with the kisses of your lips. And I think we've forgotten how to be kissed by the Father. I don't think any of you could probably even tell you, tell me what it is to be kissed by the Father. When in fact, it was the very first thing he did. But you can all tell me about the garments that you wear. And the ring of authority and the way your position in the church. You can tell me how great a Christian you are, but can you tell me what it was like when he first kissed you? Do you know there's a story that in the New Testament revelation, it says this, you've lost your first love. That doesn't mean we've stopped loving God and we don't love him. It means we forgot what that first kiss was like. I was talking to a guy in our church the other day and he said this, he says, when I got saved, he said, I felt like so different. He says, I wanted to tell everybody about it. 20 years later, he says, I don't really want to do anything. I don't, you know, I don't really want to go out. I haven't got that same enthusiasm. And he says, I realised what happened was, I've lost my first love, not meaning I don't love him. He says, I forgot what his love was like for me. Because it was when I realised how much he loved me that I changed. And I want to suggest to you and, and, and encourage you by saying this morning that stay in, get back to, spend time in the presence of God so that he kisses you, so that you sense God's love. I, was, I, I think I shared this yesterday and a lot of you may have been here yesterday, but a young guy in my church, he's a great preacher and when he gets down in the Bible and he starts asking God for a message. God gives him some great sermons and he preaches these sermons. And I sat with him one day and asked him the question. I said, you know when you sit down with God and you you talk to God? I said, when was the last time God told you something about you? Because most of his stuff he's getting is about us. I said, when was the last time you sat with God and he told you something about you? And he said this, he never has. It was the saddest thing I ever heard anyone say as a Christian. Because for me... If I don't know his love, how can I operate properly? So I'm going to ask you, put it to you another way. Um, if I can remember what I was going to say. I, I, I use these phrases, um, and, I, and I used them yesterday morning. I don't live for God's approval. I live from God's approval. I don't live for God's favour. I live from his favour. 
You see, I know my daddy loves me. I've discovered it. I've found it out to be real. I, I know his kiss has healed lots of things in my life. You, you may not know this, but I, I have suffered with two major things in my life. One is an inferiority complex, and the other is insecurity. Now, blokes are probably thinking, oh, he's one of them softies. That's fine. Um, we all, we all uh, you know, deal with it in different ways. Some of us, you know, are hard to hide our insecurities. And others of us just cry, you know. Uh, but but I, I really couldn't cope with, with a lot of things. I, I, I was what was called a people pleaser, you know, so I did everything that people... Would, even if it meant, uh, you know, I was left with nothing, as long as everybody else was, was okay, that's what really mattered, you know. And I remember even going to counselling for it. See, you can see I'm a lost soul, can't you? <laughs> Um, and, and, and the woman said to me, she says, you're a people pleaser? I said, well, I didn't take a lot of rocket science to work that one out, did it, love? She said, no, she says, but um, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. She says, is it working? <laughs> I suddenly realised, no, that's not making me alive. That's not making me feel better. In fact, it just gets worse and gets worse. Until... I met with my Father in heaven. I was praying and I just sensed God's amazing heart, amazing grace just begin to be in the room with me and he began to speak to my heart and he began to speak into things from my childhood. From He just spoke truth over my heart. It was as if I was in a room with him like I'm in a room with you and he was just speaking to me. And his truth, what he said to me. You know when the father said to Jesus, you're my son, he knew him, I'm well pleased. He's, he's not gone dumb since that day. He still wants to say it today to you and to me, right? And I heard him say that to me. I heard him speak deep into my heart. But his words, the Bible says, my words, they're spirit and they're life. That's what the scripture says. When Jesus spoke, he said the words, they're spirit and they're life. So when God speaks to you, he's not speaking to your head. Is speaking to your spirit. Words that come into your spirit change you. Words that go into your head, you think about. You don't necessarily change anything. But words go into your spirit and you go, oh. And these words came into my spirit. And I'm telling you now, the insecurity left. The inferiority left. I was changed. But what I was changed by? The kiss is what I'm wanting to use, the analogy is that God allowing him to come at the core of who I am and love me. Now, there's a, there's a problem we've got here. The New Testament does something uh, which we all think is, is good, uh, but in fact, it's, it's, it's impossible. The Old, anybody know how many commandments there were in the Old Testament? 600 and... Pardon? Oh... <laughs> I thought you were saying bless me because I knew it was 600 and something. But anyway, <laughs> 600 and something, uh, whatever, uh, commandments. And, and so Jesus comes along and he says, oh, there's only two. Ha I can do this. There's only two. And he says, the first one is this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's, that's, yes, okay. So how many of you love God with all of your mind? So your mind only thinks of him loves him, desires him, wants him. Love him with all your mind. I, so do I. I do, Lord. Yes, I love you with all my mind. 
but I don't want that guy to go off um, X Factor. I want him to get to the end. Of the, you know. And, I, you know, Lord, sorry about this, but Man U, God, I'm a Man U fan, so that's what I'm saying. Forgive me for this. Um, oh, playing Liverpool, and I know there's a Liverpool fan here because I was in the same house as him and, um, yesterday, and uh, he'll be disappointed tomorrow, but that's another story. <laughs> we'll still be friends. But, like, call my mind. Oh, no, I love you with all my mind, God, all my mind. There's no part of my mind that loves anything else but you. What's the score? So I do, I love him with all my mind. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh. But I've got some... You know, I've just recently, last couple of years, took up cycling. And uh, I, I, when I first took up cycling, I borrowed my brother. My brother got me into it. And he got a... Um, he's got three... He had three bikes. And uh, the one, his best bike was a racer. And it, it cost him something like, I don't know, 1,200 quid or something. And... And his second bike cost him £750. So he said, you can borrow that. Like, so I thought, oh, okay. So I went out with him riding and, you know, it was, I got the bug. So I thought, well, I'm going to save up and buy a bike. So I bought a racer. It, the make is called Giant. It's quite a nice make. It cost me about £800. And I absolutely love it. And uh, so I bought all the gear. Uh-huh. Bought all the gear. Um, and I clean it, and I've got an app on my phone that helps me see how far I've gone and all of that. Because, but 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 my heart's not in it. You know what I mean? It's it's, you know, my heart's just for the Lord. You know, and uh, <laughs> and the sun comes out and it's like, oh man, I've got to go. But my heart, my, but my heart's not in that cycling. You know, I'm losing weight because of it. Oh, fantastic guy. But 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 my heart's not in that. You know, I love the Lord with all my heart. I think you get where I'm going with this. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul. And then love your neighbour as yourself. Well, none of us love ourselves, so our neighbours are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, so, God, you've given us an impossible task. Until you read this verse, I think it's in, well, I know it's in 1 John, but I don't know which chapter and which verse, so it doesn't matter. Um, you can find it. It says this, it says, We love... Because he first loved us. We cannot love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength until we've received his love. And what I've done and what many Christians do is we get into works, we get into activity, we get into duty, we get into service to somehow feel better about ourselves. Look what I've done this week. Look how many hours I've spent this week. Look what I, how many prayers I've done this week. Look how much reading I've done this week. And God's going, that's fantastic, you know, wonderful. And that's just to make you feel better. But actually, really what's going on is God's saying, I just want to kiss you. I want you to stay in the kiss. So lots of people come to church with wounds. Wounds, you know, I said that door. For some people, you've been so abused, so hurt, so re- abandoned, so rejected that that door's not just locked, it's barred, it's padlocked, it's boarded up, you know? And so you come to church and, and you can get all the happy, clappy songs, but when we start going into, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, you know, the quieter ones, we start going, and I want to sing that, it's rubbish, oh, soppy song, give me a fire one, you know? Because we can't go there. 
Well, the love of God comes to heal those broken things. You were abandoned as a child, but he wants to come in and deal with that abandon. And fill it with the only thing that can replace that feeling is his love. But that's been shut. There's this one guy gives gives a, a testimony. It's nothing to do with God. It's just about him. And he says, when I was at school, he said, uh, I fancied this other girl in the classroom. He said, and uh, it was only 11 or something like that. You know what I mean? And so puppy love, you know what I mean? And he said, I kept looking over to her, like, you know, and hoping she'd look back, like, you know. And, and one of his mates spotted him and went, so-and-so's in love, so-and-so. You know, that the kids do. He says, and I decided that day I would never express love for another person like that. He says, and then a couple of years later, there was this other girl in the school I really liked. He says, she was so... He says, I used to walk, walk, walk home the long way so I could follow her, you know what I mean? So, we call that something else today, don't we? But anyway, <laughs> used, to, used to follow her, you know, like, and, uh, you know, just, just to sort of see her and like, you know, kind of, and one of his, his mates said, you don't live over here, do you? He says, no, no. He said, what are you doing this way? He says, well, you know, I like so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so, I in love. So I thought, that's it, I'm not, I'm not going to ever do that again. He says, and then I was, I was 14 and in school and we were, I, I had a real crush on this, this other girl. says, and, and I wrote her name. You know, like, you don't do this anymore, do you? Like you know, so-and-so for so-and-so in the, in the back of the... Yeah. And, he, and he wrote that, like, you know, and one of his mates saw it. Oh, man, did he get some stick. But he made choices in those events of his life to say, that door is well and truly closed. I will never show expressions of love again because when I do, I get met with ridicule and stuff. And so that door becomes shut. And I'm telling you that because whatever your experiences of life have been, and I don't know what they are, right, that your door will be just as shut as his. And, the, and we can go to church and say, well, I'll become a churchgoer then. That doesn't do it. It's having the garments. It's having the shoes. It's having, that doesn't do it. You've got to have the kiss. If you haven't got the kiss... Then, you know, I, I think of it like this. I, I, um, you can come to church and get involved in the, uh, the cooking ministry. You can get involved in the helping the aged ministry. You can come and get involved in the, you know, feeding the, the hungry ministry. You know, like some kind of, I don't know if you've got, what, what you call them? Um, food bank, that's it. Maybe you want to get involved. I'll, I'll get involved somehow. Activity is the garment. It's the ring. It's the sandals. All of that, and I'm going to be really harsh here, has no value without the kiss. Because you'll do it till you get worn out, and then you don't want to do it anymore. So you're never doing it from the kiss in the first place. You were doing it from works and duty. So the Father wants to kiss you with the kisses of his lips. Oh, lovely time. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to finish with this. <laughs> and when I say finish, I use this illustration of the plane coming into land, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's where I'm. Uh, just a couple of things that the kiss does. If God wants to put his love actually at the core, it's fine, go for it. 
who has to put his love at the core. It's, the, it's, it's for a reason. You know what was at the core of me was I'm no good. That, you know, it doesn't matter what. Yeah, I was a Christian. I even led worship, but I didn't feel like I was any good. So what's at the core of me is what I believe. You might not have that one. You might have something else. I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know, I'm not significant. I'm not, whatever it is, you, you're going to have something at your core that's not that. And only when that kiss, when that love comes to the core, will your core change. And you'll start realizing, do you know what? I am someone. Do you know what? I am significant. My father thinks I'm amazing. So I must be amazing. You know, I, I, I'll t- I've told this many times before. Um, when, when I go anywhere to preach, and even in my own church, I, I never worry about get, getting up to preach. I never do. And I have to tell you why. And I led worship today, and I never worry about leading worship. But I have to tell you why, right? Because me and Dad, and when I say Dad, I mean my Father in Heaven. Me and my Father in Heaven, we like each other. And we have a laugh. And we dance together. Now you're thinking, what's he talking about? What I'm saying is, I know he, my Father in Heaven, is delighted in me. And I'm delighted in him. So when I get up to preach, I do it from delight. Hello. I do it because I'm having a great time with my dad. He's awesome. I've met him. I know him. I think he's cool. I don't know what color hair he's got, but the Bible says Jesus has got white hair. I don't know what color the father's hair is, but it's probably um, uh, that blue tint thing they have when they get older. And that, and you know what? In the, in my olden days, growing up in church, you—that's wrong to say things like that about God. You know, that's that's you know, out, kick him out. Um, but my father in heaven, he's he's not stern. He's just, but he's not stern. He absolutely loves me. He, you know what? If you all think about this, it's really simple, right? This is really simple. Let's do a poll right now in the room. No, I won't, because it'll scare you all to death. Who's done the worst sin? <laughs> and there's, there's one or two people down going, don't look at me, don't look at me. <laughs> right? Who's done the worst sin? You know? and, and, and we're going, oh, man. And I've got news for you. So? That's Daddy in heaven. He's going, so? Come here, let me kiss you. <laughs> what? What? Let me kiss you. What do you mean? Come here. And he, and he wants to just, you know, grab you and, and, and put his arms around you and kiss you on the neck and say, you're, you're amazing. And you what? It, it, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes for me, it's not about preaching words. It's about you catching the spirit of what he's saying here, that he absolutely delights in you. So uh, this, this story is true. Unfortunately for you, you're going to go, I don't understand it, don't believe it, but that don't, really doesn't matter to me. And to be honest, I don't even care whether you like it or not. But uh, I, I'm, I, I, I've written a song. I've written quite a few songs, but there's one song that we sing in our church quite regular. And the words are, uh, go like this. The first line is, holy, 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 holy. And the second line is, holy, 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 holy. And the third line is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Right? That's... And, and you repeat that, because I thought it won't be up. And then the chorus is, high above all gods, high above all kings, high above all the earth, you reign. And the second verse is, worthy, 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 
worthy, worthy, worthy, worthy, worthy, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. And you repeat that. And then you sing the chorus. And when we sing it, it's just, we have a great time. God's presence comes and all of that. And I've got an office at the church. Now, this story actually happened, but you can do with it what you like. And I'm in my office, and I've just got my Bible open on my lap, and I've just read a couple of verses, and I close my eyes, and I'm just saying, God, I think you're amazing, and, you know, thank you for what I'm reading. And, you know, and I hear the door open. I hear the door open in the room. Now, there's something that you begin to learn about the presence of God, right? Uh, it's not in the senses, sight, hearing, right? It's not in those senses. So you sense God in that person that I showed you, the Spirit. That's where you sense God. I sensed God was coming into the room in my spirit. I knew the minute I opened my eyes, he wouldn't be there because that's the natural realm. So I kept my eyes closed. And I heard him come across him and sit on the settee opposite. Because I've got a chair and a settee. And he sat on the settee. And I said, what are you doing here? This is all in, in my heart, in my spirit. I said, what are you doing here, Lord? He says, we've come to tell you something. I said, what's that? He says, you know that song that you sing? High above all gods. I said, yeah, yeah. He says, we love it. He says, whenever you sing that, it says, me and the Father and the Holy Spirit, we get up and we dance. Now, you can all say, oh, is is he weird? What's he talking about? Or you could say, maybe that was just one of my kisses. Maybe I was just getting the Father say, just want you to know that you're cool, that you're okay, that I love you. Man, Christian life's hard enough as it is with everybody's expectations upon us to be what we're supposed to be. And Dad just goes, nah, come here. I'm going to kiss you. Stay in the kiss as long as you can. Don't care what anybody says. You know, the people, you're going to have times of worship, and I want to encourage you with this. You're going to have times of worship when some of you will just get so lost in that moment. And you may be on the floor, and I, I, I think you should have stayed there for the whole sermon. I mean it. Stay in the kiss. If God's presence comes on you during the worship and you feel yourself weeping or you feel yourself... I encourage it in my church. People cry all through the sermon. It might be something to do with... <laughs> my preaching um, but people have fell off the chairs and, and we've had to carry them out to the cars afterwards because if his presence comes and he begins to touch their life why does it matter about what I've got to say or any other preacher isn't that more important that they're encountering God isn't that what it's really about isn't that why you've come to church not to hear a preacher but to meet with dad who loves you and wants to kiss you. Isn't that why you came? If that's not why you came, go home. Sorry about that. (laughs) But it's from the kiss that you do all the stuff you do. Or it should be. So that should be the reason I come. Because then, when I get kissed and I go, you really love me? Man, I want to go. It's a different mindset when you get that. Sustain the kiss. I said I was finishing, didn't I? I am. Anybody remember in the garden, Adam and Eve? It says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then he kissed him. He breathed into him the breath of life. When God kissed the first Adam, 
Life came to his soul. The Bible says in the New Testament, you must be born again. When he kisses you the second time, your spirit comes to life. So you've all had the kiss if you've received Christ. You've had it. But he's still knocking because he still wants to kiss. He still wants to keep coming in and kissing you. It's only his kiss that can clean the unclean. What it did with the prodigal, didn't it? It's only his kiss that can deliver from fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Come on, you, you, you put it together. Put the scriptures together. Perfect love casts out fear. That means let him kiss you. Hello. Mm, come here. Let him have a go. <laughs> I never had boys, so I can't really, you know, I mean, I can't say if I'd have kissed them, but they'd have been running away, I think. <laughs> Get off, Dad. Don't do <laughs> But my girls, were, I've got three daughters and it's, and it's different. I mean, my eldest is 31 and she still wants me to kiss her. She still wants me to go, oh, come here. Oh, she says, oh Dad, she, come, she comes in and sits on my lap. It's 31, I say, Bab, a bit young, a bit old for this now. But they want the affection. They need it. Of course, you're too old for it now. You're it's not about... Uh, Church is not about becoming some weirdos. Uh, just checking. It's, it's not about making decisions to become holy Joes and try to live better than everybody else. It literally is coming into a relationship with a God who loves you. That's, that's what he's after. And you may have been a Christian a long time and actually not come into that. So can we just bow our heads for a minute? Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I actually want to come in and kiss you. I want to come in and just eat with you. And I haven't even come to tell you what's wrong with you. I want to come and tell you what's right with you. I want to come and tell you how amazing you are. Now, that's, that's a real challenge for many of you because at your core is a very different belief that you're not amazing, that you're actually a bit of a failure, that you're actually a bit of a lost cause. And he wants to come in and say, actually, you're, you're just so amazing. So I'm not going to make an appeal for people to accept Christ this morning in a traditional way of raise your hand and stuff like that and become a Christian. I'm saying this to the whole group who are here today. Behold, I stand at the door or not. Will you open the door? Will you let me just come in and show you who I am and who you are? Will you let me do that? Even if you've been a Christian a long time, maybe the last time you heard him speak to you was when you got saved. So, Father, we say to you this morning, all of us, Lord, whether we've been churchgoers or not, and, and whether we like this language or not, we say, kiss us, Lord. We want to stay in that kiss. We want to know how much you love us and keep knowing it and keep knowing it because out of that comes life. Out of that comes joy. Out of that comes peace.